When uh, every, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 9, or if your app, it takes forever to open in here, we're going to be in Matthew 9, verse 14, 15, 16, 17 today. At the very beginning of everything, though, um, like our first experience of God, the first knowable history of God is God's creation narrative in Genesis 1, right? In beginning, or in antiquity, uh, God created the heavens and earth. And this is the beginning of uh, the experience of God by someone outside of the Trinity. If God's eternal, then God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, this is a mystery that's ununderstandable, um, not understandable. They've existed for all eternity in reverse and will exist in all eternity moving forward. But our first experience of being able to know the existence of God begins with the creation account, and the creation account of humans and, and those kinds of things. So God, God when he starts, excuse me, God when he starts is this kind of creative being. Our first introduction to God is in his creativity, in his making something out of nothing. Uh, and this is how God began things. And he loaded up his creation with um, creative abilities. All of the things that are alive have the ability to produce more things that are alive. Uh, from plants and trees and fruits and flowers and animals and people. We have this creative power where we can make things. All right? And, and not just, we, we create systems, we create art, we create relationships, we create a future, um, and we create more people. And so this creative thing, when the Bible says we're made in the image of God, this creative part of God is an image-bearing part of God. So when you listen to just the greatest song of summer... It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me who wrote it. It doesn't matter to me who, whether, whether the person believes in Jesus or not. It's, it's an image of God in its creative abilities. The very notion of creativity draws us to an understanding. Uh, when we can create things that are new, it draws us to an understanding of a, being made in the image of God. And so when you turn on the radio... Uh, what's the, the great song now is by that Macklemore guy, right? He has those two number one songs. If you listen to pop radio, uh, those are the ones. This is why your kids want to go to the thrift shop all of a sudden. Um, right? Uh, Macklemore cre is creative and creating creative art which bears out him being made in the image of God. I don't, it doesn't matter what he believes about God uh, as far as this being true, that his creativity is an image-bearing of God. In that, um, the, let me put that to the side for one second. Uh, I'm relatively, I've been doing uh, like pastoral ministry for about 15 years. And when I moved out here to the West Coast, when life really began, right? Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, because when I moved out here, uh, I, I got involved with a youth ministry and we were doing camps and we're, we're a part of this denomination and there were five of us who kind of took the camps over. The older generation kind of resigned. It, went, it was actually the guy who ran it planted a church and became my church planning coach when we started this church. Really amazing ministry happening up in outside of Oregon City. Um, but um, there were five of us that started uh, running camps. And uh, I was... I was 
you know, the new guy or whatever. But there were kind of five of us who were kind of the leaders of the youth pastors. And of that five, uh, and this is a pretty common statistic today, this is about ten years later, only two are still serving in ministry. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, some good, some bad, um, but just bearing that out, and statistically, being able to stick it out in church is a difficult thing to do. And I don't think this is just for pastors, but if you talk to just the regular person, you can talk to people who did church when they were little, and it was so frustrating. They're still a believer, maybe still religious, still spiritual, they'll put those, but they did church back then, and it was painful, so I'm not going back there. So I had this conversation as I'm learning this and dealing with this, and, and this happens on a regular basis where we hear about pastors who just flame out. Or, and I, I don't want to limit it to... We hear about Christians who flame out, who just say, wow, I did that on fire thing, and, and the church, it, it was full of people who, <laughs> they don't admit this, but they were just as broken as they were, uh, and, and we just, relationships hurt. In that, I was talking to this pastor who has decades of experience. Decades, right? And I'm having this conversation and I say, so what's going on? Like I, I had this dream of these five guys, you know, 40, 50 years from now, us sitting down and being like, look what God has done. And it just being, look at, look at our grandkids and all that kind of stuff. And this, just a legacy. And this older pastor, pastor for decades, actually <laughs> told me, and this isn't a direct quote, but he basically told me that the guys he's seen who are able to last are the guys who just shut up, put their head down and work inside the system. He wouldn't use the word shut up. Um, but the guys who flame out are the guys who try, stick their head up and try to do something and try to work outside of the system. So just keep your head down, shut up, and do what you're told, and everything will be just fine. Now, if you've been here before, you know that is not going to be an effective way for me to live my life. Uh, I would like to stick my head up, especially if there's a risk. Uh, and, and it's just... It was shocking to me to think that there are, and some of you are in jobs like this, aren't you? Where you know the way to keep your job, the way to move forward, is just keep your head down, don't be noticed, and everything will be just fine. And that part of it, don't you hate? Because sometimes you'll get a good idea and you know that because it comes from you and not from the boss, it won't, you have to figure out a way to make it the boss's idea if you want it to happen, Right? that thing, the reason that we hate this, the reason that I grate against a system that tells people, that tells Christians to just keep their head down and shut up and everything will be just fine is because of the creative element that God has put in us. This desire for things that are new, this desire for creativity, this desire to try out things that we've never experienced it's because we bear this image of God. And when people tell you to just keep your head down, mind your own business, shut up, get to retirement, you'll be just fine. What they're really saying is, like, compress or push down that image of God that you're bearing. Pretend you're not made in the image of God and just ride this thing out and everything will be okay. They really, it's... It's a compelling argument to de destroy yourself. I would say to make yourself less human. To say, I'm not going to be what I was created to be. I'm not going to live in that image. And in that, 
People that love this, they love this, there's this verse at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, and you'll know it because it's just a popular saying. Ecclesiastes was this book written by uh, this guy Solomon, uh, most likely, and uh, in chapter 1, he, I don't, he wrote this probably on a bad day, because um, he just goes through and, and talks about the vanity of life. All is vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? Then verse 9 says this, What has been will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. If there is, sorry, is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. It's kind of pretty depressing. Now, a life just kind of, you're gonna, life is cyclical, you live, you die. No matter how hard you work, you still die. All of life is vanity. Everybody that says, oh, this is something new, uh, it's not new. And people read this verse at, like it's a celebration verse, right? Oh, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, like that's good news. That's terrible news. Like the, the book of Ecclesiastes is not like the, the message of hope and gospel. And I spend my life going, I'm pretty sure this guy's wrong, which is dangerous because it's in the Bible, right? You probably shouldn't listen to a pastor who thinks this. But I, there's just something in me that for the people who take this verse like it's good news, there's something in me that there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with saying there's nothing new under the sun and treating that like it's good news and treating that like, yes, Everything will stay the same. Just keep your head down, shut up, and everything will be just fine. Right? When I look at the rest of the scripture, there tends to be this issue with that. Because God makes new things. Listen to this. This is, uh, I'm not the only one that disagrees. In Isaiah 43, the prophet Isaiah actually disagrees with uh, um, King Solomon. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Isaiah is prophesying, speaking on behalf of God, and God says, I am doing a new thing. But the other guy said, there is nothing new. When the, the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is a side point that we won't spend a lot of time on, what he's saying is, Creativity is a trait of God and life outside of God, life apart from God, life that's trying to be fulfilled with things outside of Jesus is vanity and there's nothing new out there. In the general culture of earth apart from God, there's nothing new, there's no new things that can bring fulfillment to your life. People are trying to fill their lives with the same things that they've always tried to fill their lives with at a base level. And I understand, like, oh, you, the new Xbox 720 that's coming out next week, that's new, right? But really, the basic need that people are using it for, and, and the older generation, we use video games for entertainment, the younger generation is using them for connection. They play together. On, it's the weirdest thing in the world. If you have a kid with an Xbox and it sounds like they're talking to themselves, right? And they have fr they have play dates online, weirdos. But or if you're a grown adult man and you're doing that, just saying. Um, 
into all of this, like there's new technologies, but they're meeting the same base needs for connection, for meaning, those relationships that we're looking for and the meaning of life that we're looking for. So while outside in the general world culture we would say, but this is new, the new version of the iPhone is new, but the reason that we want it is the same base need that we're trying to fulfill. And only in God can new actually happen. Only in God can there be a former things that are passing away and a new things that are moving forward. This is why God can say, Uh, in Ezekiel that he's going to take your heart of stone and give you a new heart and a new spirit listen to this scripture in Matthew chapter 9 this is the story of Jesus he's talking he's going around doing some healing and just beginning his general ministry and this is where we're going to focus today but I want you to have that context of understanding that because the disciples of John come to him they'll be on the screen here this is verse 14. The disciple, this is John the Baptist, but they don't need to say that because everybody knows. The disciples of John come to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put in fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. And kind of a lot of context jammed into this little response that Jesus gives. But the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees would have had this ritual of fasting two days a week uh, I, th- I think it was Mondays and Thursdays that they would fast no, they would go without eating in order to center themselves spiritually and worship God uh, in the, one of the early Christian discipleship manuals called the uh, Didache uh, they actually started fasting on like uh, Tuesday and Friday because the hypocrites did Monday and Thursday but the good Christians did Tuesday and Friday, uh, which it's like it's a new form of the same law, right? Nothing new under the sun. Uh, when we're just looking for that religious experience, not looking for actual new life in God. And so when they go to Jesus and say, why aren't you doing the rituals we're doing? If the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees were good Jewish people, just like Jesus was a good Jewish guy, all his disciples were well-behaved Jews. Jesus gives this weird answer that has three little stories in it, or three little um, metaphors. The first is, do wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? When you're at a wedding, it's it's not a time for crying. For most people. (laughs) Right? Right? Tears of joy, maybe, but you you shouldn't be doing the tears of sadness. And there'll be a day, Jesus says, when the bridegroom's taken away, and then they'll fast. But you don't hold a wedding. You don't hold a wedding and then say, for dinner we'll all be fasting. (laughs) If you're on a really tight budget, maybe. But 
Uh, generally, you would do a, a potluck first, you know, or like crash another wedding at least to get some food into your guests. But a wedding is a time for celebration. And when Jesus is on earth, he doesn't lead his disciples to fast because Jesus is here. The bridegroom is here. And this is how God is often referred to all throughout the Old Testament, that the people of God, the Israelite people, and now the church, is the bride, and God is the bridegroom. So he views the covenant that we hold between his people, and between God and between God's people, in the same way we view a marriage covenant. But if you have this wedding, you don't fast at the wedding. Then nobody puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, because the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. And so when they would have clothes, you wouldn't mix and match the kind of materials that you put together because one would shrink and the other, then you'd sew them together and then the other would shrink. Well, it creates a worse problem than you had in the first place. So you don't use an old patch or just a new piece of clothing to patch up something that's old. You either need to get an old patch or a whole new piece of clothing. Then Jesus talks about wineskins. And I'm sure if you grew up in, this, in a different kind of tradition, I'm sure he really means grape juice skins. But um, neither is the wine put, neither is new wine put in old wine skins. And part of the process of making wine in Jesus' day would be put into like a wooden vat. And then after that it would be put into a skin where it would ferment. And in the fermenting process the wine would actually expand a bit. And so it needed fresh leather that was stretchy as a, and that leather as, it, as the wine was in it would actually grow hard afterwards. But if you had an older wineskin that was hard and you put new wine in it during the fermentation process when the wine actually expands and grows, if the leather isn't fresh, it's going to crack and break, right? Like if it's brittle and it expands, you know this. It, it, so we can't put in the process of new, if you put the new wine in the old wineskins, you're going to break the old wineskins and you're going to wreck the new wine. It's going to spill out on the floor. And so Jesus actually points systemically to these three examples where there's a system, there's a way of doing things, and then there's a way of not doing things. And if we go against the way that is normal, the way that is expected, the way that is natural, if we try to jam our legalisms or try to push our fresh ways into old systems, it doesn't just break the old systems, it actually destroys the new ways as well. So when Jesus comes to earth, the natural reaction for the people is to try to fit him into the old system that they had. Why isn't Jesus doing the things that the other religious people are doing? And Jesus refers to himself in saying that I'm not here to fast at the biggest celebration of your life, your wedding. I'm not here to patch up something that's old because I would just wreck the thing that was old and be a waste of the patch. I'm not here as new wine to be put into an old system because that would wreck the old system, break it, and waste the message of Jesus. Jesus actually throws down and says, I'm doing something new. Jesus actually says this in the book of Revelation, I am making all things new. So while they 
writer of Ecclesiastes is correct in saying that outside of God there's nothing new, that people are trying to fulfill their lives with all this stuff. Jesus is saying that in Christ, in the gospel, God is doing something very, very new, very fresh, and very different. See, the gospel is alive, and the gospel is dynamic to our lives and to the systems that we live in. This is why we experience, at a a big level, this is why we experience new churches that are different. It's actually really important. It's really important that we train our children because someday they need to grow up and they need to say, calling a church The Grove is a dumb idea and they come up with something that's relevant and new and fits in the system that they live in. It's going to be a great day for me when my kids say, your expression of Christianity doesn't make any sense in my life. Right on. Because it makes sense in my life. And you shouldn't live my life. You should live and minister to your culture in in your culture. Now, when they do that, they have to move out as well. Like, uh, no free rides. (laughs) Like, I had a job. You go get a job, you know. But... (laughs) but if we are followers of Christ there's a way of seeing Christianity as an old wineskin of saying it's this old system and what I need to do is get my life to fit into this old system and then things will work and what Jesus would actually respond to that and say well, maybe Jesus actually wants to do something in your life. Not just fit you into some kind of religious system that you maybe inherited three generations, but he wants to actually have relationship with you and develop something new in your life. Some people view Jesus and say, well, Jesus is this thing that I added to, like my life was kind of broken, it was torn, and Jesus is like this patch, like he kind of fixed my life. And you can still have the same life, but then you just add Jesus to it. And Jesus actually says that's a waste of Jesus's, of, of the hope and the, the blood of Jesus. It's a waste of the gospel because it's just going to make your life worse. You're just going to experience a new tear. If Jesus isn't the center of your life, if he's just like an additive to your life, it's actually going to make your life worse, not better. It's kind of a hard message for Jesus to give to the disciples of John the Baptist. To say, yeah, I understand you're doing that, but I'm doing something completely new. And you either get on board or you're just kind of wasting your time. You either decide to follow Jesus or you don't follow Jesus. And I understand there's an exploratory time and stuff like that, but if you're thinking, I would really like Jesus to like fix this part of my life, the rest I can handle, but I'd really like Jesus over here in this part of my life, like a patch. Jesus actually tells you that's going to make the rest worse. That's actually going to make your life harder, not better. It's going to create more difficulty, not more peace. This is true not just in ourselves, but also in our churches. We're going to do new things to reach new peoples. If you look at churches 25, 50 years ago, none of them cared about their websites. Right? None of them. None of them were talking about how are we creating conversations on Facebook about the things that matter, about the gospel, about more than lunch, right? 
How are we doing this? How are we engaging our community in this way? I have conversations like this all the time with people who we look at the culture and we look at our world and it is radically different than it used to be. Right? Like the world that you and I grew up in, and I, you, you can be really young. You can be out of high school three or four years ago. It's radically different. And when this generation passes through, it's going to be radically different. And the challenges are going to be severe. Growing up, in the culture as a Christian in an increasingly post-Christian culture the challenges are different than the challenges that you and I walk through this is one of the things that just drove me batty when I was in youth ministry for a while youth ministry today the majority of them uh, look the exact same as they did in 1955 you get together it's, it's just like the middle have you seen the middle and the youth pastor on the middle he plays guitar and he sings a song and he gives an inspiring message and all the kids are there in the safe alternative instead of at the school dance and then they go out and do the, the other, you know, they probably sign a, a true love waits card and, th- and then they have, you know, a, an altar call and then they go. And so we're doing the exact same ministry today. This, this is the same thing that they were doing in church basements in 1955. And we would say, therefore, we know that the teenagers are the exact same in 1955 because the same ministry, it's working. And I would contend, no, it's not. (laughs) We can't just continue to do the same things and think we're reaching our culture, like not just reaching our culture so that we can convert them, but reaching our culture because we have fantastic good news of the love of God for them. We have this fantastic news that Jesus died for them so they can experience freedom and love and joy. So they can experience being made new, which our world doesn't offer. And that good news changes as our culture changes. The starting point of the gospel changes as our culture changes. In 1955, we could assume, I don't know why I'm picking that date, but you could assume a basic knowledge of Christianity. If you ask people what religion you are, Christian. What church do you go to? The Presbyterian one. The Methodist one, right? They had words for that. Now people are religious or spiritual. The church doesn't have some kind of privileged chaplain position. It's moved to the periphery and exists in a marketplace of spirituality. So that if the church doesn't have a compelling life to offer, meaning life in Christ, then it really doesn't have anything to offer. Which has always been true, but for a long time in history we've been forgiven. And Christians have been allowed to be just like cranky, grumpy people and not live the best possible life because of the privileged position that the church and Christianity had in our culture. This isn't good. This isn't bad. It's just new. It's just different. And God is continuing to do things that are new. When you would have this old wineskin or you would have this old garment with a tear in it, it didn't make it garbage, right? 
You probably have jeans with a rip in them. Well, nowadays that's cool, isn't it? Uh, I, I can never tell when it's cool and when it's not. But you have memories with those clothes, right? I have shirts with a rip in the sleeve. And I'm not throwing that shirt out because I remember when I got that shirt. I remember that funny story. And it's kind of a, there's a history there. When you would have those old wineskins and you would have that and you would remember the provision that God gave you. You don't just say, well, now they're, now I just hate those wineskins. I'm going to condemn them in favor of the new fresh wineskins. <laughs> it wasn't that one was better or one was worse. Is that they carried different roles. An old wineskin was to create the wine for the family then. And the new wineskins was to create the wine for the family in the future. Or in the now. When you're at the wedding, and Jesus says you don't fast when the bridegroom is there, but someday you will. And when you're at the wedding, you know that someday there's going to be a funeral for this beautiful couple that's up there. But you don't cry about that then. You understand that this is where we live now, this moment. And we recognize the cyclical nature of life, but we also recognize that God is a creator, and He's creative, and is making all things new. We put away the former things. We do this on a personal level. We do this on a macro level. We put away the former things because God is doing a new thing. My favorite church, uh, just for the name, in the whole world, there's some church down in the Bible Belt. I don't even know any. They might be heretics. Who knows? Uh, But their church name is called Brand New Church. It's probably a marketing stunt, right? Uh, you can go brandnewchurch.com. They're far away, so you won't leave our church and go there, even though they've got a cooler name, probably cooler t-shirts too. Uh, we're probably better at softball, but you know. <laughs> but that brand new, for me, theologically says what the gospel is. That in the world, there's nothing new happening. In religion, there's nothing new happening. In some kind of legalistic system where you make rules to feel good about your faith, there's nothing new happening. But in Jesus, things are being made new. And by things, I mean people. I mean you, and I mean me. When we look at our old life, and that former life has passed away, and if you're in Christ, then you're in a new life. And there was a tear in who you were, and you didn't patch it up, you got rid of it. And you became that new. And the wineskins were cracked and you were brittle and going to break and you passed that away. And Jesus filled you with something new in a fresh way. And while we know that life isn't going to be the easiest thing moving forward, we know that God is with us. We know He is making us new. He is renewing us. And He is redeeming the world. And He is moving us forward. To try to force yourself into an older system or to try to force uh, yourself as an individual or yourselves as, as a body into an older system is to wreck yourself and to wreck that system. Because whatever benefit the old ways had, and when Jesus was on earth, he was talking about the Jewish system. 
Judaism was an effective way of relating to God. It was the way that God gave them. And he wasn't there to condemn it. Jesus actually used the word, I'm here to fulfill it. And it's not something he wants to do where he works on you and works on you and eventually Jesus goes to the heart. Let's create something new. Let's not patch up the old. Let's not say, okay, here's what we can keep from the old system and here's what we're going to change. He says, that was the old. And we honor the old and say, that was great. But we don't try to return to the old. We don't patch it up. We don't try to keep using it. We don't try to go that way. We move into the new that God is making us. The future that God is designing for us. This is why, like every one of us, we struggle with sin. We struggle with failings. We struggle with just issues in our life. Esteem issues and and just stuff like that. And as we struggle with that, the very reason it's a struggle is because we have this new thing that's been put in us that we're moving forward. We don't look at ourselves and say, well, people like me, there's just no hope. What it means to be in Christ is to say, someone like me who is in Christ is being made new. And I am, by definition, full of hope. I am not defined by what I am in my former self, but by being made new by God. Moving into this future life. It's something that happens, I think. I would say at the moment of salvation, like if you've never given your life to Jesus, put your full faith and trust in Jesus, that's a moment where you receive the gift of eternal life that God has given. You are made new. The Bible says you take off your old self and put on your new self. If you've never made that decision, now would be a good time to make that decision. To make that change. To receive what God has for you. But I don't think it's something that just happens one time. I think it's something that carries on, that we're being made new. This is why when we think about eternity in heaven, like a couple billion years from now, hopefully the world is ended by then. (laughs) Right? Because Facebook is not going to make this place better. But whatever years from now, when we're in heaven... When I was a kid, I thought that would just be the most boring thing, right? If it, especially if it's like church. A lot of singing, a lot of robes. It's just terrible. But if the definition of being with Jesus is being made new, then every day is going to be like your first experience of that day. It's like this, and you can argue over the merits of this example theologically is probably not that true but in heaven when I sit down with a steak which I'm not sure we're allowed to do in heaven but when I sit down with a steak and I take that first bite it'll be like I've never tasted this before it will be awesome in heaven when I worship Jesus it will be like that first time I realized God's love in my life and I worshiped Jesus because I recognized my sin and received his salvation. In heaven, when we hang out and you tell me the stories you've been telling me for the last billion years, it'll be like I heard them for the first time and I will roll on the floor laughing and I will tell you the same stories because I honestly forget telling you them before and you will think it's awesome because that experience of new 
that gives us so much joy in our lives is the experience of being with and in Jesus. I don't compel you to go to heaven someday because it's a better option than hell. True. But I compel you to go to heaven someday because it's like life lived to the max. And if you're in Jesus, that isn't someday after I'm dead. That is now. I wake up every day and the Bible tells me God's mercies are new every morning. And there's this system and there's this vanity to just regular old life. But I experience it in Christ in a way that the rest of the world has no idea how awesome my life is. The new things that God is doing in me and through me and around me, in us and through us and around us. I would tell you today not to just fall after Jesus because there's no better option. I would tell you to follow Jesus because it is the best life that you could possibly imagine. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, among us today there may be some who've never put their faith in you, never sought you for the forgiveness of their sins and put their full faith and trust in you. And so as we are created in your image and made to exist in relationship with you, we want to pray with those people today who would seek, who would just apologize for their sin, seek forgiveness for living life on their own, and seek to be made new in you. We pray with them, and we pray for each other in that way. There's also many of us here who have been following you for extended periods of time, and and it's so easy for us to fall into just patterns and think that life is just this, this grind. And I just pray that you would make it new. I pray that you would make us new. Make our experience of life new. It might look exactly the same tomorrow morning when we go to work or class or whatever. When we wake up, it'll be the same pains. The same things that we procrastinated will be there. The same broken relationships. The same struggles that we're walking through. But Jesus, may our experience of them be with you. May our experience of them be walking in the best life that we could possibly imagine. We hand ourselves over to you. We pray that you would take the old and just discard it. That we would just get rid of it. Because it carries no value for us as we are being made new. Fill us with your spirit. Create a new heart in us. A new spirit in us as your word promises. And allow us to follow you. By your grace and your mercy we would pray this. Amen. Let's stand.